G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Jody Cook is a powerhouse entrepreneur and is listed in the Forbes 30 Under 30 Social Entrepreneurs in Europe. In 2011, she started her own digital agency, which was then acquired in 2021 for multiple seven figures. Alongside running a business, she writes books and articles about entrepreneurship and competes for the UK in powerlifting. Her books include Stop Acting Like You're Going to Live Forever, Daily Me, and Instagram Rules. She also co-wrote an awesome book on how to raise entrepreneurial kids and the Clever Tykes storybooks. Jody is also a regular contributor for Forbes magazine on entrepreneurship, and whilst running her agency, she provided commentary to publications as a social media expert. At the time of this recording, she's just about to launch her new book called 10-Year Career. And after chatting to her about it on this episode, I'm pumped for its release, especially the audiobook version. I love to read, but I really love to listen. And when she told me about this book, what it's all about, I think that you're, if you're an entrepreneur or business-minded, you're going to want to dive into it too. So the book itself, 10-Year Career, is designed for entrepreneurs who suspect they can be more, and it's to help you run your business without it running you. You can pre-order the book now with its pre-order bonuses that come with it at 10yearcareer.com. So that will be in the show notes. And after you hear her talk about it, if you're thinking, yes, I want that, pre-order it now, 10yearcareer.com. So the main reason I was inspired by Jodie before having her on the podcast when I was first introduced to her and her work is because she's a beaming example of designing the life that she truly desires and then working smart, not hard, but very smart to make it happen, the life that she desires. She's extremely wise with business and values her health, travel and adventure very highly and lives all of these values out congruently. And I bloody love that. That's exactly how my gorgeous wife and I aim to and well, we do live our lives and that's how we've designed things. So, I was truly inspired by Jody as a living, breathing, beaming example of this. In this episode, we discuss the mindset shift required for tradies, coaches and other entrepreneurs who have started businesses without any business coaching or qualifications to run. So, what's the mindset required to then step in and run a successful business? We talk about the power and importance of creating clear standard operating procedures, SOPs, to help you outsource more efficiently. We discuss Jody's personal mission and why we believe it's important for everyone to have an empowering personal mission, how to design a life that you truly desire through a successful business, relationship dynamics for driven entrepreneurs and the importance of couples enrolling in each other's mission and purpose. We discuss Jody's beliefs about the education system and how it's not designed to create entrepreneurs. 
And on the back of that, we talk about Jodie's book about how to raise entrepreneurial kids. And I ask her advice to parents on how to support their kids to be ready for a future that doesn't currently exist in regards to businesses and careers of the future. And we discuss so much more about mindsets and strategies to be successful entrepreneurs and live the life you truly desire at the same time. Just a reminder that if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd be super grateful if you were to share it with a friend or 10 and jump onto your podcast app and give the show a five-star rating and review. It helps to show the podcast when people are searching for podcasts, so it pops up, and that way I can also keep bringing legends like Jody onto the show. Okay, now let's hear from the legend herself, Jody Cook. So, Jody, many business owners listening to this and entrepreneurs listening to this episode, they've probably gone into business not as a mistake, but as a transition without learning about business. So, for example, they might be a tradie who's finished their trade and then worked in the field and then started their own business and or someone who has been employed and then decided to go down the entrepreneurial journey and start something themselves without the business kind of training. I think this is really popular and it's becoming more and more popular and I think it's great. But what's the mindset shift to stop thinking like a tradie or stop thinking like an employee who trades time for money and to start thinking and acting like a business owner with like supportive systems and processes to help them thrive instead of the struggle that we tend to see and feel? Really interesting question. And yes, absolutely. I agree. So many people fall into starting a business and they don't even realize they're starting a business. And I was definitely the same. I just started telling people that I was a social media manager and then started getting clients from there, but never thought, oh, I have a business now. It kind of happened by accident. And I think there is definitely a way of moving on to the more systemized version of running a business. But I do actually think that initial stage is so important and actually shouldn't be skipped out because it's where you're busy, you're saying yes to everything, you're running around town like a headless chicken, you're you're, bit, you're at events, you're speaking, you're meeting clients, you feel like there's not enough hours in the day, but that is so essential to running a business that you know how to do everything with. Um, I think moving on to the systemized part of business involves automating, delegating, eliminating, creating processes, creating a manual, finding other people to do the stuff that you've been doing. But at the same time, I don't believe in automating, delegating or eliminating anything that you haven't properly assessed. And that's why I think the first stage is just so important in doing the stuff, analyzing the stuff and then working out where you are to then work out what you can train. I think that from moving from the first stage to the second stage. I'm so actually so interesting that you brought this up because my my new book has a, a 10-year career framework and the first stage is execute and the second stage is systemize. So it's exactly that first to second stage. But um, one of the things I say when you're moving between stage one and stage two is have a milestone. So have a revenue milestone that you want to hit where you say, okay, I'm going to hit this. That will have almost proven to myself or whoever you want to prove it to that I have got this business of a certain size and that will trigger a new set of actions that involve systemizing my business. I think that happening too soon would end up automating or delegating either the wrong things or the things that actually don't make that much impact to the growth of the business, which is what matters most. 
Yeah, well said. And I was listening to you on a podcast a few months ago and I started something straight away where I've now got a spreadsheet and it says what I'm doing, uh, who should be doing it, and Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. how can they do it. So I've got the three columns now. And as it pops up in my mind, I realize, oh, this is another task that I'm doing within my business that I shouldn't be doing. Who should be doing it? Who would be the person to do it? And then what would they need to know? What's the standard operating procedures? What's all the key points? And I'll just brain dump in there, try, not trying to make it super clear at the moment because I only outsource to a few people at the moment. But as I grow and I want to outsource more, I'm starting to really think in that mindset of uh, how it can just easily be passed on rather than wait till I onboard someone and then try and teach them all and think about it all on the spot. So thank you for you yeah. to, for planting that seed in my mind for that wonderful <laughs> process. No worries. I think ultimately the goal is to do what only you can do and keep working through it until you find what that thing is because that is your magic that you add and it's probably not updating your website it's probably not um making Mm. sales calls it'll be something but then it's about clearing all the space for you to do that thing that makes you unique or the thing that is your magic your magic ingredient so what about for business owners or entrepreneurs that are already past that phase of like that startup and they've been going for years and they've hit the revenue streams but they still find themselves working in the business a lot and some might be micromanaging, some might not be, but they, they're doing a lot and working in there a lot. What's your tips around that? I think the most important thing is self-awareness. And it's why I love journaling, because I think it can uncover everything that you're thinking. Journaling first thing in the morning, before you've done anything, before you check the news, before you've checked an email, before you've done, done anything at all, what am I thinking? And just write down this kind of stream of consciousness because it uncovers so much. I think if a business owner was finding that they were getting back in, I'd want to ask why. Is it because you don't trust the people who are doing the thing? Is it because you do trust them, but you actually really do want to be doing it? In which case, it might be your magic ingredient that, that you've actually outsourced and you want to keep. Um, and if it's that you don't trust them, it's again, why is it, have I got the wrong people in the wrong seats? Or have I not trained them sufficiently? Or are my standards are my standards too high? Are my standards unattainable? Sometimes there's an element of self-sabotage here where it's like a business owner says that they want to outsource something and then they'll train someone and someone will do, yeah, an all right job. Or maybe even they'll do a fantastic job, but it's different to what they would have done themselves. And they see different as a bad thing. And they use that as a almost an excuse to get it back or to delve back in. Yeah, that's quite interesting, actually. I think it's that uh, ownership aspect too, where or trust of uh, trusting the people that you're delegating to, trusting that the train. I think it's you, you were saying train and trust, train, train and, and trust. trust. Yeah, again and again, round in this loop, keep going. And the different, and someone doing something different does not mean they are doing it wrong. It just means they're doing it different to you. But on one hand, yeah, that's bad because it's not exactly how you would have done it. But on another hand, you're inviting this range and this diversity into your business, which is probably only a good thing as long as you see it as such. Mm, Yep. And so you've written your book that's about to be released and I see that you're recording the audiobook version, which uh, is very exciting because I, I definitely love books, but I listen to more than I read these days. And it sounds like it's around these philosophies. Tell us a little bit about that. What's it called and uh, what can we expect from it? 
It's called 10-Year Career with the subtitle, Reimagine Business, Design Your Life, Fast Track to Freedom. And yeah, it's super exciting because it's out next month. And I wrote it when I was waiting for the sale of my agency to complete because I was so impatient and I didn't have a lot (laughs) to do in my company because I'd systemized the whole thing. And so I thought rather than just annoy everyone. I'm going to start writing a book. And that's what I did. Kind of went back over the last 10 years of my career because I started it at 22. I sold it at 32 and thought, what are the lessons that I can pull out here to turn it into a framework and something that can be helpful for other entrepreneurs? So the the 10-year career framework is, well, we've covered execute and systemize, and then it's scrutinize, and then it's exit. And the book goes through what to do at each stage, how to know which stage you're in, and how to progress through to ultimately making work a choice, because I believe everyone can do that within 10 years. Let's talk about that, because you said the word freedom and fast track to freedom, I love, and making work a choice. And this is one of the the things that really attracted me to you and your journey and super inspired by it because one of our values I was just telling you with my gorgeous wife and I is travel and adventure and freedom is is within that and I see that that's the lifestyle that you've designed and I see that you I know that you've created that big business and you sold and you you know your entrepreneurial DNA is still seeing you in creating great work and creating great impact and writing books and still doing that work. However, it's also supporting you to live your other values around your sport and your health and your travel and adventure. So talk to us about the the fast tracking freedom part and the your belief that everyone has the choice to work. I definitely started off doing it completely wrong. I had the goal that I wanted to be <laughs> self-employed because I wanted to work from anywhere. And then three years in, I found myself living in my hometown, working in my hometown with a team based in my hometown, and I couldn't take a holiday. And I was like, this is not what I plan to do at all. And so many business owners in that space, they've almost, they haven't created themselves a business, they've created themselves a job, and they work for the worst boss ever, which is themselves, because that boss never lets them do anything and never lets them take a holiday. So um, it was actually a trip to Australia that started it all off because okay (laughs) so I decided that enough was enough and I had to work out how to systemize my business and so what I did was created the table that we've talked through where you list every single process in your business who does it now which was easy because it was just me doing everything and then you make a list and a plan for who does it in the future Mm. and then I booked myself a trip my, my, me and my husband had booked us a trip to Sydney for five weeks and it was three months in the future. So I thought this is my deadline because we're, it's a 10 hour time difference. I'm not going to be able to properly run the company. So it needs to be systemized by that point. And that's what we did. And So you gave yeah. yourself three months to systematize it? Yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it was ambitious. <laughs> yeah, it was ambitious, but just the the presence of a deadline meant that it happened mm. and stuff and stuff fell into place. And it was yeah, it was tough. It were probably the the busiest three months of my life to date, but so worth it because by the end of it, we took that five week trip to Sydney, and that started off five years of traveling and working remotely for one month in every three. So it was one month away, two back, and we repeated mm. that until. March 2020 Mm -hmm. and I think it's just really important that life 
life happens and business goes around that rather than work happens and then you squeeze in your life around that I don't want to live that way around I don't either and a lot of people listening wouldn't want to do that either but they might find themselves doing that so what have have you written any books on that or what's your what's your advice to to people that are in that situation either as business owners or as employees who who want to live that life but they feel like I just can't I'm stuck I think the solution to so many things in business is paradoxical. And I think the solution to this one is not necessarily doing what you love, but it's loving what you do and keeping keeping your business progressing and keeping keeping your eye on doing what only you can do so that you love it so much that you then work out ways of you taking it with you wherever you go. Because when we were away in, in that trip to Sydney and in various other ones, we're still working. We're still, it's still part of the day, but it's just not the day's not centered around it. The day's centered around training and, and exploring and adventure and, and those other things. So I would encourage someone to look at their business, work out what only they can do, and then reimagine their lifestyle around doing that one thing. Imagining that someone else takes care of everything else. It's like a thought experiment, but it's quite a safe mm. thought experiment because you could just, you could journal about it. You could map it all out and, and then look at it and think, could I create this reality for myself and often the answer is honestly yes mm, i love that because I, I people i work with i talk to them about like the, the ability to redesign your life so i don't say to people you should find a swedish wife and uh, go and live in sweden in the wilderness and do all the things that i do that that's that's true to me however i, I always yeah. challenge people with the question of why do you do what you do is it to have a lot of stress and is it to spend less time with your family? Is it to impact your health? Is it to take you away from your hobbies? Is it to, and all of these kind of negative impacts that we find increase with this this feeling of stuckness or doing more work or working more in the business or whatever it might be? The answer is obviously no. And cool, it goes back to what you said. That's the self-awareness. Okay, great. Yeah. So it doesn't actually have to be that way. And like you said, that the ability to creatively think and just put the thoughts out there, or how could it be? What would you want it to be? And then that coming back to, well, you know, we don't want to all just live on a lot, uh, on a yacht and not have any stress or pressure, or we want to be creating impact. We want to align with our values. We want to be uh, spending more quality time with the family. How can we do all of that? So I love that. I believe we can have it all. And having it all is around the, the, those elements of it doesn't mean have it all, all the money in the world, have all the time in the world, have the best, you know, the best time in the world all the time. Having it all means having living the life of alignment with your values, living on purpose and on mission. So I guess what I'd love to, to hear from you is um, do you have a personal mission and, and how do you tie it into to have it all is it about this do you believe that the underlying core underlying thing to have it all is to systematize everything what what else are these little secrets that people might be able to pick <laughs> up on i definitely believe in everyone having a personal mission i believe your personal mission is two components it's how you live and how you serve and my grandma for example her personal mission although she, she might not have realized it was this but it was just to raise a happy family and that incorporates oh, both how she lived and how she served so she didn't have any goals to climb Everest or you know publish a million books or anything but she had her very clear purpose there it doesn't need to be 
a kind of world changing manifesto. It could just be how you serve a very specific set of people. Um, mine is quite simply to see what I'm capable of and to help others do the same. Mm -hmm. I, I am obsessed with the field of human capability. I love things like the 40% rule. I love digging into the kind of zone of the unknown and, and the discomfort zone and seeing how much I can push through it. I think I'm quite, I quite enjoy getting to that moment of discomfort and being like, oh, this is where most people give up and then going past it. I really find I'm a bit of a psycho. You are, you are too, though. I know, I know you are. <laughs> so um, I quite enjoy that feeling, but I feel like I've maybe enjoyed, I maybe enjoy that feeling because I've reframed it in my mind and because I see it as something to run towards rather than run away from. Mm. Talk to me a little bit more about the 40% rule. Yeah, so it's um, I think it's David Goggins and David Goggins, Jesse yeah. Oh no, it's but it's someone else, isn't it? It's Jocko. It's it was someone else before then, I think. But anyway, it's it, it is of Navy Seal origin, and the forty percent rule says that even when you think you are done, when you think you cannot give any more, you are only forty percent of the way there. Mm. And I feel like this is so true with press ups. If you said to someone, do press-ups until you get tired, and then they stopped when they got tired, and then you said, right, go until you absolutely cannot do any more, that is when you find out that the 40% rule is so true because some, that the first go will be 40%. Right, and I think that's yeah. true in all areas of life, work, business, everything. Yeah, it's a very interesting philosophy. When I first heard David Goggins talk about it, I thought, yeah, I'm hearing you, but I'm not, um, I don't have that kind of mentality where I can really just break myself to get those results. But then realizing, like what you said, where you can bring it into, it doesn't have to be about that, just that physically demanding, like with him running 100K races with broken yeah. feet and peeing blood and things like that. But like when you bring it back into the uh, the business world or uh, even life world where you think life's life's pretty good. I don't know if I can get much better than this. Maybe we're only 40% of the way there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you talked about uh, press-ups there too. Tell us a little bit about your you're a bit of an athlete, a bit of a powerlifter, uh, the the journey that brought you into that and where you're at with it now. Yeah, I am a powerlifter, so I compete in the sport and it involves squat, bench press and deadlift. And I compete in the 57 kilo category and have competed for Great Britain about five times now, I think. And um, I absolutely love competing. I've been doing it for about five years. I started getting into powerlifting through running and I read a book from a British runner called Paula Radcliffe. She held the marathon world record. Uh, no, Paula. Yep. Um, yeah, she's she's awesome. And she wrote a book called How to Run. And in it, she talked about cross training. So picking up weights and using that to supplement your running. So I started going to the gym and I started doing what a lot of people do in the do in the gym which is picking up dumbbells vaguely kind of waving them over my head and then going and stretching and then going home and thinking I'd done a work <laughs> a workout but when I was waving some dumbbells over my head I saw a girl in there who was using the 12 and a half kilo dumbbells and I was only using the 10s and I thought oh my god she's so strong and I was like how did you get that strong or maybe she was she was working up to the 15s or something but it was nothing I'd ever done before. And she was like, no, 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 you can do it too. And she kind of picked them up, put them in my hands. And then I did a set of like six chest press with the 15 kilo dumbbells and felt superhuman. <laughs> <laughs> and then 
And then um, that's when I, I started talking to my husband about it because he's always been into training, but we trained at different gyms because mine was closer to the house and had a swimming pool. So you can see my priorities at the time. And he trained in a proper gym. So I started going with him to that gym. And at the time, I don't think I had any idea that because he was about twice my size, he should probably be lifting a lot more. I just thought, well, if Ben can lift that, I can lift that. So I was <laughs> I was trying to match him. I, mean, I was nowhere near, but I was my goal was just whatever Ben could lift. And so that meant that when I went and squatted and deadlifted and benched, I didn't see the ceiling that someone else might have done. I just thought, well, there's always room for improvement. So it meant that I got quite good quite fast and then met someone who competed and then started doing that as well. Well done. Love it. So the mentality there was uh, once you lifted those 15 kilo weights, you thought there is no ceiling. I'm unstoppable. (laughs) (laughs) You knew the 40% rule without knowing the 40% rule. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so a lot of your travel and uh, designing your life has been around still being able to obviously train for that sport wherever you go and and gyms so when you you travel around you obviously want to be close to a gym so you can still train still do the travel and adventure and tie it all and and a bit of work if you want to the process is we find the gym first so a lot of the time the travel is to go and train and live next to a really amazing gym Mm. so um one that springs to mind is Dash Gym in Vienna. That's just incredible. It's it's almost more like a museum than a gym, but it is an amazing place. The brothers that own it are fantastic. They've got a cafe there. It's It's got all the kit you could possibly need. And there are various other ones that we've trained at before, but it's find the gym first, find an Airbnb or an apartment next to it, find another gym because it's always, I quite like having memberships at more than one for mm-hmm. the month. And, and then we stay there for a month. And then booking all the adventures around that. But the goal is to have the triangle of where you stay, where you train and where you work as small as possible to then allow for the exploration within the month. And why it's a month is because you really feel like a local by the end of it. You don't Mm. feel pressure to fit touristy stuff in because you've got a month of living there and you can really experience it. Brilliant. So are you guys back on that again now, but but you've sold the, the company, you're still doing one month travel, two months based in one place or are you a bit more nomadic now lot yeah a bit more nomadic now at the moment the last seven the last nine months we've been away for seven of them mm-hmm. and from next month actually won't have a base at all for a little while and spending we're spending a little bit longer in places because sometimes the life admin of swapping every single month can be tough mm. and you don't always want to get reacquainted every single month so so the last place we spent about three months and the time before was about six weeks so I don't know it's all a game of experimenting and see what happens and then if we want to get a base camp again then we will do but it's quite fun not having one yeah well done back to that training and travel aspect I always found it interesting when people would say you know they needed a holiday after a holiday because they get back and they're so exhausted and fatigued from not doing much and overeating a lot and you know just completely relaxing and my my wife was my gorgeous wife was a professional race walker so 20 kilometers she was swedish national champion 20k race walker i was a sprinter but then coached uh, olympic and paralympic athletes and worked in other sports so when I would travel with teams, we would obviously, it was very different working with athletes. So we would obviously accommodation as close to the track as possible. We would always need a track and a gym. So mm-hmm. I have that philosophy in my mind, traveling as an athlete and then as a coach and as a therapist. 
But then I think about sports, hearing you speak about that, all you need is a gym. That's pretty good. And that's what I loved about, I was a sprinter and a long jumper, sprint and long jump coach. So we we would always need a track though and a pit Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. the technical kind of stuff. But you travel with distance athletes and they don't need anything. They just, they can walk out the front door and go for a run or race walk on a flat road or things like that. And obviously need a gym as well for strength training, but the ability to take that with us, with them everywhere they go. And that's what... My wife and I, when we travel pre kids, when we traveled through South America and a lot of different trips we did, we would it's either mountain bikes and exploring that way or going for long runs and exploring, like tying our uh, exercise and movement into our travel and adventures as well. Love it. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, that's even more freedom because if you do have to be tied to a gym with specific kit, that maybe ties you down more than it needs to. Whereas yeah, if you're a distance athlete, anywhere, you, the, the whole world opens up. Something we are actually considering is doing it more like a distance athlete, as in you could set up anywhere, but having a squat rack just shipped to wherever we're staying. We've looked <laughs> into it. It's a bit extravagant. I don't know if we'll actually do it, but it takes away the need to have that good gym nearby. Mm. So there's, I think there's a lot of different ways of doing it. Maybe just that. If you're going to other remote kind of communities with that in mind, you could look into how you could fund these smaller communities to build you a squat rack before you oh, get wow. there. You could send them, send them <laughs> yeah. some designs and so it's it's built by the locals and you're putting some money into the local communities. Might, there yeah. might be a little trust factor there where you have to ensure that it could hold enough weight, but it could be <laughs> something, yeah. something from that. Yeah, that sounds good. Jody, you've mentioned Ben, who is obviously your husband. And one thing that I'm really curious about is with your relationship, how how important do you think it is for people in business and, and entrepreneurs or any people who have a mission and a purpose and they're mission and purpose driven? How important is it for the couples to to be enrolled in each other's mission and purpose. They don't necessarily have to have the same one, but to have that support of not just saying, yeah, I support you and you're doing really well, that really genuine connection and they really understand what you do and they support you from all elements in that way. How, how important is it, do you believe, in relationships that there's, there's that buy-in together? I think it's huge. I think you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you've got the bottom rung that's shelter and food and safety I think a really strong relationship and someone who you spend a lot of time with that you know you could talk to about anything and that would support you is is so important I think it, it allows people to achieve so much more because there's a lot of there's a lot of things you don't have to think about when you're in a very long-term relationship and um, Ben and I have been together since we are since we were 18 so nearly 15 years so it's like a long time but we um we are very much same team and everything has to come back to being on the same team with absolutely everything yeah I think it I think it's really important what would you say to people listening to this who their partner isn't bought into their mission or purpose but and I say that from a place of maybe they're not they don't they they don't not support it but maybe they just don't fully understand it. I would say talk about it as much as you can talk about it, the better. Communication. Because you'll, under- you'll understand if, if you suspect they're not on board, then 
it might that might be wrong you might think that they're not on board but actually they don't want to talk to you about it because they don't know if you want to talk about it they might think oh I'm not going to ask them about business over dinner because they might not want to talk about business over dinner when in fact you you think oh they're not bothered and they just think I'm I'm looking after them so I think working out those little nuances is a really good thing to do I think even if they're not necessarily agreed with your mission or your work they're definitely agreed with they want you to be happy and they want you to be fulfilled so are there parts of your mission and your work that they could be interested in and that you could talk about or you could get their feedback on I think it's all yes communication talking about it digging into if there's any little niggle in your mind that says oh I'm not sure about that then I think get it out there talk about it I love that and it often I shouldn't say blows me away but it's kind of that aha moment again when working with people and and they they express their challenges within the relationship and you say, have you spoken about it? Well, no, I haven't yeah. because, yeah. And so the first point of call is to speak about it. We're often maybe shy away from difficult conversations or they might not even be a difficult conversation, but shy away from uh, what, you know, these assumptions. That's what I'm getting at, that people make assumptions that, oh, they don't want to hear about that or the assumption that they're not going to be on board or the assumption that they won't understand. I love the four agreements book. And one of the agreements is never make assumptions. It can literally yeah. change change our lives. So the opposite to not making an assumption is crystal clear communication. Yeah. I think so many of the things that make someone a really good life partner or travel partner or pair, like co-parent with you is often a lot of the things that would make them a really good business partner because probably you're not exactly the same person. You've got complementary skills and them applied to business is just amazing because it means you don't have to have the the co-founder who you don't really know you've got the co-founder who you live with who you can talk to all the time and that's magic if you can get it right I believe that business businesses can go so much further if you get it wrong it can go really really badly but that's why communication matters so much so are you and Ben doing business together now because you sold your social media marketing company and what what's what what are we even up to now apart from writing books and traveling the world and adventuring yeah. from, from a business and work perspective what else is happening in Jody Cook's world um the main focus is the book and that's a big focus for this this year and since selling the agency I'm very careful to focus on one thing at a time so Ben and I have got another business ready sort of created but we're not launching it yet we're launching it towards the end of the year so i'll tell you more about it when <laughs> when it gets around to that time okay so there's no little secret hints of what it what it's about is it all just oh just in the, the launch? yeah in the in the future in the space of personal development i could send you that i could send you the site you could have a look but at the moment the, the focus is on the book because i think it's too easy for visionary entrepreneur founder types to get really good at the start and then not see something through mm. and if I did that with the book I wouldn't focus on doing all the promo chatting to people kind of making sure it gets into the hands of as many people as possible I would just go oh I've written the book it's out there it's published okay now what's next and mm. I, I want to really actively not focus on what's next and focus on what's now what's here in front of me because otherwise you spend your whole life nexting and, her, and focusing on the next thing around the corner when actually now stuff's pretty good and there's a lot to do. How do you, I love my favorite F word is focus. 
And one of the greatest skills we can have is focus, but and the subcategory to that is refocus because we'll be distracted and then refocus what's important. How in business, in entrepreneurship, in life in general, there's a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. that can distract us. How do you how do you personally focus and then refocus? Because I imagine there's an abundance of opportunities that always come your way. How what's your filtering system to to stay on track like what you were just talking about? Focus from a big picture perspective is having the mission at the forefront and then knowing what I'm doing to work towards that. And then everything that comes across my kind of sphere of influence in emails, on social media, everywhere else, it has to fit in with that. Otherwise, it has to be a no because it's costing the mission if it's not if it's not adding to the mission it's costing the mission and I have to remember that always because yeah there's there's a million things that I could get involved in and everyone wants you to be part of creating their dream but if I'm if I'm helping someone to create their dream I'm not necessarily creating my dream so Mm. something I am actually a big fan of is just the line yes but not yet and I'll do this with things like podcast interviews and various different things where I'm like I would love to do this but it's just not yet and so with the podcast invitations that appear in my inbox, I say, yes, but not yet. Try me in this month. And then I'll focus in that one month of doing a podcast interview every every half day or something like that, because I quite like the batching nature of it. And then it means Mm. you can focus. So if you decide that in July, you're going to be great at giving podcasts, but then in August, September, October, you're not going to do any, any at all, then that helps kind of periodize your life as well and helps keep it on your terms rather than just doing bits and bobs across the year. Mm. So then for for the people we were talking about before that are tradies or full-time employees that have moved into, into their business and they find themselves just thinking, yeah, but this could be good, this could be really good and they start to try and dabble in lots of different things and bring different things into the business or different people or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. If they don't have a clear mission with their their company and their business, then you're saying like create that mission, create that clarity of it and use that as the forefront. That's what will allow you to say hell yeah or hell no to opportunities. Yeah. Well, there was something I heard about side hustles and because that's what we're kind of talking about that, aren't we? We're talking about things that people might want to set up or joint ventures with other people that are ultimately side hustles and I think there's a big questioning exercise around what might make you want to do one and if it's just because you like shiny objects and you you're always distracted and you can't actually focus that's a different kind of issue to if your core business is not taking off and that's why you're looking for the other things as well and if it's that your core business isn't taking off that's another question so if I wasn't distracted, could I make my business focus on one customer type, one service, one way of marketing it and get it up to being a certain turnover? And then I can make the decision. Mm. And I think it's probably always better to focus on your core business, get it up to a stage you want and then have that decision rather than spread yourself too thinly too early. Beautiful. And I imagine that kind of stuff is in in the book as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I talk a lot about side projects because it's something that distracts so many entrepreneurs so, so quickly. Mm. And you could you could spend your first year having six different projects that are all kind of okay, or you could focus on one and get it to a much higher level. And then you open up bigger opportunities and you've got that base of that business that you've created in the first place. 
sometimes yeah. it's about finding sometimes it's about refinding your original passion talk to me a little bit about that well when you say original passion the, that little spark that made you think this is the business i want to start or this is the work i want to do how do you refine that because it's probably still there you might have just lost it because you're doing all the things that you don't really need to be doing or want to be doing so part of it's mm -hmm. delegating those things when you can so that you can do the thing that you've got the real passion about but part of it is also thinking about your progress in your role because anyone that works for you you'll probably have their progress chart you'll probably have okay if you're here for this this time you'll, you'll be doing this next year this the year after then this and this and this and that keeps them motivated but where's your version of it where's your okay this is what i'm doing now then i'm going to systemize my whole company and then over here then i'm going to scrutinize and then i'm going to buy another company and then i'm going to do this and i think having your own personal development plan is just as important as developing them for your staff but often business owners don't do that they just hurtle forward blindly yeah definitely and i think also what i've come to realize is working with a lot of business owners that there's this element of guilt so they they fall into business like what we spoke about and they create this great revenue generator and they're proud that they can employ staff and and supply jobs and income for them and their families and they're creating a bit of an impact but they also don't want to systematize things too much because they have this guilt that if I'm not, I should be working more than the employees or I should be working just as hard as employees. If I'm not, it doesn't seem right. And so I'd love to hear your personal experience around that and what you've got to say around that, because the way that I see it is that we can create businesses that are this force for good and that they have the the ability to employ people, which creates their income and, and you know, supplies for their family as well. But what most people think about is the business is I have to be working and then I feel guilty if I'm not working in the business. Yeah. Two things. One is that I believe the people who've made the biggest impact in the world put themselves first because they created that insane abundance, wealth, freedom, opportunity for themselves. And then they had a bigger platform through which to share it. I think Can you give me an example of someone? I guess all the, the t in in the top hundred like billionaires, they nearly all of them give give away like over over half their wealth, for example. And you can do a hell of a lot with that compared to, you know, creating a business that is very in its early days, and you're you're trying to kind of employ people because you believe that you should provide for people. I think that you could, if you worked more on how do I build my business in the start then you could get it bigger and you could add more impact later so i think that the guilt that comes with the guilt that might come with say not kind of working on the the small day-to-day -day aspects could be far overshadowed by the potential of what you could create in the future if you put more thought into creating a bigger entity that adds more impact mm. And the second is on your, the use of the word should. So I have beef with the word should because every time you use it yourself or every time you hear it, it's some kind of social conditioning that's at play. So like, oh, you you should wear that color to that wedding or you should 
do this or you should think like this or you should say a certain thing or it's all rubbish like it's all based on social constructs that don't really mean anything so if someone was like oh I should be in the office now I'd, I'd say dig into that should who says you should is it something from your past is it something that you heard on the tv is it something that someone who doesn't actually want the best for you but has been advising you thinks you should do because of a reflection on themselves and their inabilities or their kind of past past experiences so the word should should be taken out of everyone's <laughs> vocabulary and um, and avoided really avoided because I think it holds people back quite a bit yeah, I, I often say the should-haves, the could-haves, and the would-haves. They're they're a lot like they're the the oil light in the car to say, hang on, let's explore that. Exactly like what you were just saying. Yeah, I think you're right. Should we move on? Should we? <laughs> we should. <laughs> on a on a slightly different tangent now, and speaking of books, actually, how many books have you written? Well, twenty, and this is the twentieth. Wow. But the first, I guess the first five were kind of social media tips books. And then they've been various different types of books, guided journals, things like that. But Mm -hmm. in terms of books that have been published, this is the, this is the third. So one of those books that I'm familiar with and I've heard you speak about and in relation to your TED talk called Creating Useful People is the the book about uh, entrepreneurship with kids. Yeah. Yeah. How to raise entrepreneurial kids. How to raise entrepreneurial kids. So tell us a little bit about that. What is the the concept behind that? How do we raise entrepreneurial kids? <laughs> well, um, the actual concept behind the book came up because I'm really interested in what makes someone believe that they can start their own business compared to someone who believes it could never be an option for them. And a big part of that I've found is role models and someone having an entrepreneurial role model in their life means that they are much more likely to believe that they can start a business and there are other factors but that's a really big one and so um, about six years ago or so I sent out a harrow which stands for help a reporter out and it's a it's a website where journalists and writers can get sources for their stories and I used harrow to ask two questions one was how were you raised to be entrepreneurial And the other was, how are you raising entrepreneurial kids? And I thought I might get a few different responses back and I could write a blog post out of them. And I got 500. 500 responses. 500 responses, each in a lot of detail with a lot of information. It was over 40,000 words. And I thought, this is golden. This is like, this is, this is the answer. This is actually answering the question in all these different examples of people at all stages of business um, with kids of all ages all around the world. And so I thought this needs to be a book. And I don't have kids myself, but I was, I was kind of raised to be entrepreneurial almost by accident because I had a mom who was, um, she's been self-employed as long as I can remember. And so there's little things that happened in my childhood that mean that I was, it was almost inevitable that I was going to start my own business. But I thought I want to partner up here with someone who's got kids because I want to make sure that this is both sides of the story. And so Daniel Priestley is a friend and I asked him to be my co-author. He's an Aussie. He's Daniel Priestley? Brisbane, yeah. Yeah, I so, know Daniel. Um, so he's got three KPI. Yes, so Key Person oh, yeah. Influence, he wrote Oversubscribed. Mm. Yeah, he's, a, he's yeah, awesome. Mm. and um works a lot with entrepreneurs and he's got three kids under the age of seven 
and is trying out little kind of little ways of raising them in a, in a way that's congruent with raising entrepreneurial kids. So I thought you should be my co-author for this. So I kind of pitched him the idea of this book and he was like, yep, yeah, great, let's do it. So we wrote this book together and it's split into 48 different ways, but they're all based around the case studies and the examples that we collected from that Harrow, from that journal request. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's cool. It's split into the four pillars of raising entrepreneurial kids. That's uh, mindset, skills, opportunities, and the parent mentor. And what's the what's the feedback been like with that? With in terms of parents reading it, I imagine parents who are very entrepreneurial, like Marie and I, my gorgeous wife and I, would probably froth on it. But how about yeah. with parents who feel like the the system serves them, and they do, do, do people get offended by it or hmm. confused by it? Yeah. So. Um, one of the main things that we're clear on is this is how to raise entrepreneurial kids, not how to raise kid entrepreneurs. So uh, if anyone really? was going to kind of criticize it, they would say, oh, let kids be kids. Let them, you know, eat mud and do what kids are meant to do. <laughs> and we would say, yeah, we totally agree. We totally agree. But if someone can be resourceful, creative, positive, resilient, all these different, have all these different things that they learn to do from an early age it will serve them well in the future and especially where we're walking into a future where some of the jobs of the past are not going to exist in the future they're just not Mm. you have to be resourceful and if you don't learn that in school you're not going to learn that you know sticking to a mark scheme following a teacher doing like moving around to the sound of a bell school's not there to create entrepreneurs it's there to create factory workers but there aren't going to be any factories. There aren't going to be any factory workers. It's all going to be robots. And the people who are going to be able to navigate this new world are the people who can be resourceful. So that's what we're trying to teach. And yeah, I guess on that concept of that, lots of jobs that are around won't be around in the future, but you can also say lots of jobs that we don't know about will exist in the future. And I think that's what happened with you when you finished your studies and you stepped out, You there was no social media marketing manager. And then six years later, you started your own business as exactly yeah. that. But when you finished, your career advisor didn't say you should be a social media marketing manager because that that didn't actually exist in the world. No, it didn't. So six years before, social media hardly existed and also... At university, I did a business management degree. We had a marketing module and we didn't cover social media at all in it. So even education has to catch up with reality. And yeah, but when we were when we had the agency for the first couple of years, it would be like, oh, I don't know how to do this thing. Jodie, what should we do? And I'd be like, I don't know either, but this is amazing. We get, we get to create it. There are no businesses of our size, of our type in the world. We are the first. So we are going to create the rule book here. And that was really exciting. Whereas if you're running a more traditional firm, it might be, there might be a certain written up best practice benchmark way of doing it. But the, the jobs of the future and the businesses of the future, it's going to be making it up as you go along the whole way. And I want to help, I want to kind of contribute towards people being able to do that. And you mentioned there before about the way that the system, the education systems are designed, and I've heard you say they're kind of like a conveyor belt for the, um, the, the the systems that exist. So with that belief system, are you saying that uh, you don't believe that kids should go to school or you don't believe that schools are the only answer for 
four kids and because you went through school and you went through university so you're yeah, a good example totally. that well education it can work yeah totally yeah I'm definitely not um I'm not here to kind of bash schools I think that it's actually in how to raise entrepreneurial kids the entrepreneurial thinking alongside schooling if you went to school thinking this is how I am going to create the life of my dreams in the future this is going to develop me with everything I need to become a success whatever my version of success is in the future I think you would be wrong but I think there are ways of doing school and questioning and doing other things alongside it that can set someone up really well for their future and one of the examples in the book is around how you frame how you frame school how you frame teachers how you frame the experience that you're having and if it's oh I've got to do this and yeah I'm going to do the minimum that I can do to get that get that B grade or whatever it is then of course that's going to that's going to play out in real life in the future whereas if it's How many people can I meet today? How many amazing conversations can I have? What can I come up with on my own today? What did I notice that could be improved today? There's so many different questions that you could ask about a normal day at school that Mm. would lead someone to have a more entrepreneurial way of thinking. But the education conveyor belt means that we go through this traditional route of primary school, secondary school, college, university, maybe a graduate scheme. And the the kind of normal path isn't really questioned. We just do it because it's expected of us. And that's definitely what I did. But if we do question it, then we can get the most out of it. Something I heard recently as well is around this concept of jumping through hoops and that someone who completes the education conveyor belt is probably very good at jumping through hoops because Mm. the hoop is effectively the is the mark scheme. And so you can see the mark scheme, you can see what you need to do. And so you know what you need to put in place in order to jump through that hoop. And people will be really good at that. So if you imagine whoever graduated the top in your in your class, then went to a really good university or college and then got a really good job and then progressed up, up that kind of uh, com- career conveyor belt, they're probably very good at jumping through hoops. But for an entrepreneur, they not only have to be good at jumping through hoops, they have to be good at imagining the hoop from scratch because they can't see it and then they have to be good at remembering that it's there even when it feels like it's not so it's like climbing to the summit of a mountain when you can't see the summit you just have to trust that it's there and you have to trust trust that that putting one foot in front of the other will get you there so yeah there's all sorts of conveyor belts but thinking about how you jump through the hoops can help raise entrepreneurial kids or help us as as grown-ups to be more entrepreneurial I love that. And my gorgeous wife and I, we've got at the time of this recording, three-month-old Oliver, one-and-a-half-year-old Indiana, and we both went through the education system and uh, we're just not believers in it. Not against, it, it has its place, like what you're saying, but we're exploring and we're huge believers that by the time our kids get a bit older, the and there's already schools in Australia that we're looking at that aren't a part of the education system. They mm-hmm. go to like a school area and they have teachers, quote unquote teachers, uh, and they have these classroom environments, but they learn through exploration and discovery and choice. So if they're learning certain things about science or maths or language, they get to choose a topic. What are you interested in? I'm interested in dinosaurs. Cool. So your assignment is around dinosaurs. What are you interested in? I love cars or 
I love mm-hmm. ballet dance or whatever it might be. And that they get to choose the topic and they have to have certain things that they meet, but that it's, it's things that they're interested in at their stage of life. And so they can really lean into it. And because they're not a part of the education system, they don't have to do these tests to get a certain score. And then the school gets graded on how well each kid does in that because it means bugger all for kids to be able to memorize things. And i tell you what, I was really good at that at school. I was really good at knowing, okay, I just got to memorize some things, get it out on paper for the test, and then I'll just forget it all. So, yeah. and moving into the real world, you realize that's pointless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Shopping lists, maybe that's the only application, but even then you just you don't you just write it down now. <laughs> yeah, in the phone as well. So I guess um in a quick wrap up, just being very mindful of time, what's your advice to parents who don't really feel like there is a choice where the kids are in the education system uh, and ma- they they know they need to be educated. So what I'm saying is our kids will be extremely well educated, but it will be through, we're going to find mentors when we travel the world. They're going to learn from elders. They're going to learn in different environments and they're going to have some online capacities. They're going to have different environments with kids and, and these learning environments as well. But uh, I'm a massive believer that that school is way outdated and it's part of that conveyor belt. I've got, like, I'm not judging anyone that's in that. Everyone has their own choices, but and we're really grateful. We've set ourselves up to have those choices. So that's where we're moving towards. Who knows? The kids might get a bit older and we go, you know what? It's easier to put them in school, but I highly doubt that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what's your advice to parents who have kids in the system now and are kind of like, yeah, I can see what you're saying there, but there's not really a choice around that what what to to, you know we can't really take them out of school or find an alternative but what how can we support them to be more entrepreneurial or set them up for a future that we don't really know exactly what it's going to provide i'm just finding this um there is an article that i need to send you that maybe we could link here as well and it's the um sorry The six childhood trends of successful entrepreneurs. So this is something I wrote after interviewing loads of entrepreneurs about their childhoods. And um, I, yeah, it's interesting hearing you talk about travel because that's actually one of the six. I've called it big wide world. It's that if someone has awareness of what's going on around them in different areas, in different parts of the world, then they their kind of minds will be expanded. And there's five others. One's actually experiencing change or disruption. So it's about mm. not always seeing disruption or, you know, someone moving schools or, or like moving house or something like that, not always seeing it as a bad thing, actually seeing mm. it as a thing where, you know, we can adapt to this and I can teach someone how to be adaptable through just dealing with this situation, for example. And there's there's four more, but I think that they are the crux of how someone can can have an amazing, perfectly set up childhood to set them up well for the future. Brilliant. And so you've sent that through to me. Can I put that? Is that something that's accessible to, to the public? Can I put that yeah, in yeah, yeah, the yeah. show notes? Awesome. It's on, I've, it's on my, um, my Forbes column. It's called The Six Childhood Trends of Successful Entrepreneurs, but I'll send you the link as well. But yeah, I would en- encourage anyone to have a look at that because that's from interviewing a load of entrepreneurs about their childhoods and just being fascinated that they had a lot of similarities between them. Brilliant. I love that. Oh, so for everyone listening, put that in the show notes uh, and link to a lot of Jody's work and, and the book that we're talking about and also the, the TEDx talk as well, because I think it's it's super fascinating and it's work like what you've put out there to help 
parents like ourselves where we that's what we want but how do we go about that or parents that are listening that oh that that sounds interesting but we're already in the system but how can we make these subtle changes to to help provide the best opportunity for our kids so that's awesome jody there was heaps more things that i wanted to dive into to uh with you but i think we're going to have to get you back on and maybe it'll be after the book is released and or maybe at the end of the year when the new business venture has happened so we can get a bit more insight into that but before we wrap up uh where can the listeners more learn more about you and so website social media etc and then how can we help you on your journey amazing thank you so much for having me yeah i agree we could have talk for hours and hours so everything about me is at jodiecook.com j-o-d-i-e-c-o-o-k.com and that includes the new book 10-year career there's a bunch of um pre-order bonuses and things that are on there if anyone wants to check them out and then I'm on all the social medias and I would love for anyone who's listened and has like different takeaways or has enjoyed the episode just to say hey I always like hearing from from listeners and um yeah I look forward to chatting to you again as well i'm sure there's loads more that we can talk about in the future absolutely i feel like this is just the beginning so thank you so much for your time jody you're a legend you're a beautiful example that we can have it all we can have business success we can have financial abundance we can have optimal health optimal relationships and pure fulfillment keep shining your abundant and impactful light to the world my girl (laughs) thank you i believe that we can as well There you go. What a wise, aligned, inspirational soul. Make sure you check out Jodie online to stay up with all her latest blogs, books, programs, and of course, her new business that she was discussing. So you can check her out at jodycook.com and on Instagram, jodie.cook underscore, or if you just search for Jodie Cook, so it's J-O-D-I-E-C-O-O-K. And she's super active on Instagram, actually, with helpful little tips and inspiring content. So it's a great place to connect with her there. The article Jodie was referring to about childhood trends of entrepreneurs can be found in the show notes to this episode, which she was talking about that she wrote for Forbes.com. Also, legends, just a reminder that if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend or 10 who you believe will get value from it. And jump onto your podcast app and give the show a five-star rating and review so I can keep bringing legends like Jody into your ear holes. Keep thriving. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.